Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello Australia, welcome to My Millennial Money, I'm Glenn James and today on this special episode we are joined by Kate Campbell, Olympian, gold medalist and it is just such an encouraging conversation. I want you to have a listen, I want you to draw parallels from what Kate talks about from being a professional athlete and how you can apply those principles in your life. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by Open Trader. Open Trader is Australia's most competitive, self-directed retail trading platform for professional investors and those who want to invest like a pro from only $5 per trade. It provides a chess-sponsored brokerage account and award-winning charts combined with ongoing educational support and training. You get full autonomy on how you select stock and detailed info on performance across multiple metrics uh, to help you make a robust decision. So thank you to Open Trader for supporting the podcast today. Strapping guys, this is a great chat. We are so grateful to have Kate while she completes her quarantine. Uh, she's fresh back from the Olympic Games in Tokyo and you are in for such a treat today. So thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for your support. And I hope you really enjoy this episode. Kate Campbell, thank you so much for joining us on My Millennial Money and congratulations on your new metal. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. It's uh, great to be here. I'm coming to you from hotel quarantine, so it's nice to speak to some people who aren't myself because conversation gets real old real quickly. <laughs> yeah, it was it was real easy to lock Kate down because she just wanted to talk to someone else other than the, the hotel room, didn't you, Kate? So so welcome. Thanks for joining us. So Kate, gold medal four times a hundred meter freestyle relay, uh, gold the four times uh, one hundred meter medley relay, and bronze one hundred meter freestyle. That's such a huge achievement. And I actually remember watching that live, uh, all three of them. And it kind of feels weird that it's this big world event and, you know, I'm now talking to you and you're a real person, but you're on the screen and you're such a superstar. So we want to unpack this episode. We want to talk about the Olympics and all that stuff. We want to get into uh, maybe the money side of uh, how athletes and Olympians make money. We'll talk about the sport. We'll talk about the mindset and we might swing back around and have a chat about the stuff that you're doing with John. So if there was one word that you would say to describe your weird Olympic experience in Tokyo, what would that be? Oh, I only get one. Um, <laughs> and you've just used them. <laughs> Surreal. Can, I, I, think, I think that pretty much sums it up. I think that yeah. everyone's been living in a bit of a 
alternate reality for the past 18 months. And I keep on expecting to wake up and for the world to go back to normal. And sadly, that hasn't happened yet. Uh, and I think that the whole experience, like right from getting on an aeroplane and handing over a passport, uh, right to getting into the Olympic Village, which even though there were obviously a, a lot of differences, was also the same as every other Olympic village that I've been to. You know, it it, it still looked and, and felt like an Olympic village and, and there were Olympic rings everywhere. So so that was the same. But then you walked out on pool deck uh, for, for my first race for, for an Olympic final and you were greeted with silence. You know, you could hear the six people in the stands cheering. So then that was surreal. But then as, as soon as you kind of click into race mode and, and your focus narrows in on the race, then that went back to normal. So you kind of had uh, these weird moments where everything was normal and it was exactly what you'd expect from an Olympic Games and then coupled with just what are we doing here uh, and how is this the state of the world? So, Kate, did it feel like you were back in the, the local school sports where not many people came and uh, attended and you just uh, went as hard as you could and told mum and dad at the end of the day? Uh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking around and the people who I'm racing against are a lot yeah. bigger and scarier than, than the nine-year-olds I used to race. And, yeah. the, you know, the, the, this, the announcer booms out and this is the Olympic final and you're like, oh, yeah, it's getting we're real on. now. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're not in Kansas anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so you said it, it kind of like being in the athletes' uh, village was very similar to past games. You weren't allowed out of the village. Is that correct? No, no. But a few people were a bit naughty. <laughs> no, actually, everyone was, was was pretty good. We weren't, even within the village, we weren't allowed to like mingle with, with other countries. Um, and we really had to minimise uh, sort of time spent in high traffic areas. So, so places like the dining hall or um, there, there are really cool places that are usually set up in Olympic villages where um, you can go to a cultural center or um, there's like a games room that athletes from all over the world can go and play and mingle with each other. So um, that wasn't allowed. So yeah, a, a few people toward, after they'd finished competing and, and before we all got kicked out of the village, um, no swimmers, thankfully, but um, you know, a couple of Australians went down and, and, and had a bit of a fun time with uh, with some of the international guys in, in a park in the village because, like, the, the Olympic Village is like a, a group of apartments, so there's, um, like, big green grassy areas for people to intermingle. And, and actually that's that's one of the really sad things about these games was, was not being able to uh, hang out with, with your other athletes. And we, we know so many people from all over the world and uh, it's not quite the same when you just have to stand a metre and a half apart and be like, Hey there, how's it going? Where normally you'd, you'd get in and give them a hug and, and things like yeah, that. Definitely weird times. Um, research tells me, Kate, that that was your fourth summer uh, Olympics. You considered probably the most experienced um, athlete or one of them uh, from Australia at least. Did you get a lot of uh, first-time Olympians coming up to you with, asking for advice and, and saying, well, what's the, what's the law of the land here? <laughs> yeah, so it, it's really interesting. So our team was made up of 35 athletes. We had eight uh, completely new people to the Australian swim team, so eight uh, complete rookies. 
But out of the 35 of us, 21 had never been to an Olympic Games. So it just goes to show uh, how great the team culture is that, that we've managed to build to, to welcome those people in and to... And Olympic Games is a different experience to any other competition that you go to. But we managed to create this culture where everyone felt comfortable with each other. Um, we spent a, an awful lot of time together. And I think that doing that kind of took away some of the nerves and anxieties about being in a really different different space. Did you actually attend the opening ceremony? Yes, I did attend We, we the might have to ceremony. edit that out. <laughs> no, I winked. I winked. Oh, you winked. Yeah. <laughs> yes, my first opening ceremony. Um, yes, I, I was lucky enough to, to carry the flag um, alongside Patty Mills, who is just an absolute legend. And it was kind of strange the... Walking into that stadium um, alongside Patty was was almost a, a really sobering moment because, uh, as, as all us athletes left the the Olympic Village and, and went to the Olympic Stadium, uh, we all went in this big bus convoy. And uh, of course, two weeks before the Olympics were due to start, there was announced that there would be no crowd. So prior to that, uh, Japan had kind of hoped that the stadiums could operate about twenty percent capacity, but. Uh, there were to be no one in the stands, but the Japanese locals came out and they lined the streets and they waved and they cheered uh, all us athletes in this bus convoy. And then Patty and I walked out into this beautiful stadium and it was completely empty. Yeah, I, I found it just watching the events and the opening ceremony, like I found it, I was so saddened for the Japanese people. Mm. Like, you know, they've put all that effort in, all that money and just no one there to enjoy it and to make use of the investment. Yeah. Uh, it was just sad. Uh, just a follow-up question. Did you actually see my wink? Um, I did. I did. Okay, Don't good. worry. Um, it was a little hard behind the glasses, but yeah, I, I okay. got there. I was like, he's, he's a smart guy. He's done his research. He yeah. Knows yeah. Knows. I was going to say, because I'm going to get all these hate uh, reviews and stuff. Um, and. Just on the um, other athletes, like there's a huge Australian squad. Mm. Like one of the Olympians for the equestrian, like I think, I forget his name, but... Andrew I think Hoy. He's been, Andrew Hoy. Yeah, Andrew Hoy, that's it. He's been doing equestrian since the dawn of time. Um, like just a vast mix of uh, people. Do you get to spend time with other Australian athletes? Yes. Yeah, so, so this is... Kind of what was also quite unique about these games is that because we weren't intermingling with anyone else from other countries, it meant that we spent a lot of time at Australian headquarters and it was a really great space to hang out with. Um, um, one of the best things about going to an Olympics is, is getting to meet other Australian Olympians, but we really spent a lot of time together. Um, they set up some screens so, so that we could watch the broadcast uh, from back home, the, the Channel 7 broadcast, and they just did such a good job. And if you weren't down there, it cut, everyone just kind of congregated outside the front of the, the village. And you could always tell when there was an Australian racing because there would just be this cheer, cheer erupt. And that that was something that, that was really special. I, I don't know about you, Glenn, but I, I thought how good was the time difference where we could get up and watch uh, athletes compete straight away. Right, the biggest problem at home for me was getting our kids to do uh homeschooling when there's Olympic Games going on and their and their heroes are, are on the screen and and I look back to when I was a I was a kid just a sports fanatic and all these athletes were 15 20 years older than me and I was just so uh, 
admiral of of how good they were. Um, and now you mentioned Andrew Hoyglen. Like I think he's actually the only athlete competing there uh, last week that's actually older than me. So um, I just uh, <laughs> I'm still in admiration as to how fast and the horse you guys. does all the work. Like let's be and honest. The, that's right. Well, we might. Uh, yeah, that's right. It's in debate, isn't it? But uh, <laughs> I don't I'm... mean that. By the way, you have to be very skillful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, just so inspirational at a time when the the whole world's sort of suffering um, because of what's happened with COVID, but just uh, just timely in the inspiration that it gives every Australian when they wake up over that duration of the of fortnight the games are on. Yeah, I, I just think it was an amazing thing, particularly uh, in lockdown. Uh, most of us, you know, the East Coast was, you know, in and out of lockdown and it was just you know, last year we had Tiger King. This year we had Kate. Um, <laughs> oh, I really wish that I wasn't in the same sentence as Tiger King. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're heaps better. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's weird when you first meet people, like we're going to leave this conversation. I'm going to be like, that was so good. Kate's going to be like, that Glenn guy. Who is that weird head. guy? Just yeah. compare me to Tiger King. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in a good way. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to find a good way for that to come off for me. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, do, Kate, do, um, do the South Africans try to claim you? Because you're originally from there and you, you came to Australia at, what, age nine? Do, do they try and claim you as their own come Olympics time? <laughs> I'm very friendly with, with the South Africans and um, that there, there is a little bit of a joke that, that they try and claim me. But um, I think that it sounds, this is going to sound really bad, so I really hope no South Africans are, are listening. Um, I think because I grew up in Africa is why I'm so fiercely patriotic uh, because I just, I see this country and uh, I'm so incredibly grateful for the life that I have been able to have and, and, and the things that, that I get to do. So, yeah, there's, there's no chance that I'm, I'm going to go back over. Can you just actually, because I was quite interested to hear about your story and I guess we can segue into more about Kate Campbell and uh, you the person rather than just the Olympics. Uh, what was your story growing up? Yeah, so I am the eldest of five children and I was born and grew up in a little African country called Malawi. I moved to Australia in 2001, so when I was nine years old. So I, I actually have some like really strong memories of, of growing up and living in Africa. Um, I guess my introduction to swimming in the water came particularly through my mum. So uh, my mum's mum, so my grandma on my mother's side is a swim teacher and holds swim classes in her backyard. Uh, and my mum was a really competitive synchronised swimmer. So that's now called artistic swimming. So she was good enough to compete on the world stage for South Africa, uh, except it was during apartheid. So South Africa was banned from all international sporting competitions. So she, she never got a chance to compete at an Olympic Games or a Commonwealth Games or anything like that. Um, so she taught um, me and Bronte and the rest of our family how to swim. And then when I moved to Australia, I uh, we didn't know a, a single person. Um, we, we moved to Brisbane and I think my, my parents had a phone number of a friend of a friend. So how do you meet people and how do you plug into Australian culture and society? 
join a sporting club. And we were just lucky enough to have a swimming club just down the road from the house that we were first renting when we moved here. And that's actually where I met my coach. Um, So he's been with me for 20 years this year. So he's taken me from nine years old um, to four Olympics and, you know, whatever else all around the world, which is a a pretty special relationship we've got. Wow. He must be so proud. Mm. So just on that Kate, this is just my personal interest only. You have a coach at age nine or 10, whatever that may be, and he's still with you today. How does that transition go through when you make um, state teams, national teams? Are you not um, pressured into taking the the national coach um, as as your coach or are you, are you okay to do that? How does that work? So our, our national coach doesn't isn't really involved day to day with athletes. He facilitates with coaches. So um, Australian swimmers train with lots of different coaches all around Australia. But there definitely was a bit of pressure once I started showing potential and promise to move to an already established coach. You know, I think that particularly for for my coach Simon, people were saying about him like, oh, he's just stumbled across a, a really talented athlete. Uh, and he needs to hand that on and, and, and give her up and let someone else do something with her. And I firmly, be- well, I clearly believe that that's not the case. I think that I am the swimmer I am today because I happened to walk into that swimming pool and meet Simon all those years ago. And I think that I wouldn't be anywhere near successful, um, as successful if, if I wasn't with him. And he was one of those, he's one of those people who is so self-assured and knows what he wants and where he's going and, and who he is and has been a real grounding influence for me. But because because he has that confidence within himself, he wasn't afraid to try things a little differently. And uh, he's been a really integral part of shaping the way that we train uh, sprinters in, in particular. Um, we've had a lot of success in Australia in the past with sort of more of the distant events, but He's really sort of had a had a think about why we do things the way we do it. And if I'm only swimming 100 metres, why am I doing the same type of training as someone who's swimming 400 metres? Mm. Just on the coach thing, Kate, like John and I, you know, in this money world, we, we are pro advice. We are pro getting help, like, because we only know what we know, right? So what would you say to somebody who is thinking about an area of their life whether it is the sporting arena, personal growth arena, money arena, who is thinking about stepping out and investing in that third party. What would you say to that? Look, maybe uh, your hesitancy in doing that is an insecurity. And I think that we should never be ashamed of the things that we don't know or ashamed that there are areas that we are not particularly good at because the world is full of lots of different people who can uh, fill in those gaps for you. You know, it's 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 not saying that you're not good at other things. Um, I'm good at lots of things, but there are lots of things that I'm really bad at. And so why don't I go and seek help from someone who's an expert in it? There are also things that I just don't care about and I'm just not interested in. And I know that they would be a really good thing if, if I was more interested in it and my life would be better if I was, but... So if I'm not, and if I don't want to do the research and I don't want to do the work, why don't I go to someone who loves it and who's going to help me out? Like it just, yeah, it's 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 one of those things that maybe we feel the pressure to be the best at everything. No one's the best at everything. And we shouldn't be ashamed of our shortcomings because 
just because you're you're not as good in one area doesn't mean that you're not really good in another area that this person mm. who you're seeking help from you know is is bad at as well so yeah we we need to complement each other yeah it's uh, a strong words most people may not know this if they're not involved in uh, in supporting sport around the country, but you've got a very talented younger sister. I, I came to work this morning, I suppose, breaking up a fight between my 11-year-old uh, 11 and my 7-year-old. <laughs> uh, how did you guys go growing up um, competing against each other, one out doing the other? When, when did you get to the age where you thought, you know what, we've got to work together on this or was it always like that? Yeah, so for, for those who don't know, I have a younger sister, Brunt, well, I have lots of younger sisters, but one of them, Bronte, is, who's two years younger than me, um, is also a very, very competitive swimmer. Um, we actually swim the same event. So we compete against each other a lot, but because we get to be part of relay teams, we do actually get to compete with each other, which uh, is really nice. I maintain I'm the older sister. I picked my specialty event first. She should have picked something else um, because let's not forget there are lots of different strokes and lots of different distances that she could have picked. But no, <laughs> she had to pick the 100 freestyle and 50 freestyle as well. Um, but it's it, it's funny you say that because we had this dream of going to the Olympics together. So um, both Bronte and I were kind of swimming mad when, when we were little and, and we used to sit in the back of the car and talk about all the things that we were going to do after we had been to the Olympics. Like it was just going to magically happen. Um, like that's not a difficult thing to do at all. And so when we, we finally you know, achieved that in 2012. It was always a shared dream and a shared experience. Um, I, I'm not going to say it's not challenging because because it is challenging. We're both highly motivated, highly competitive people who like to win. Everyone does. But we have kind of, just because someone else wins or, or someone else achieves something great doesn't diminish who you are as a person or doesn't diminish the things that you've accomplished, you know? Um, I think that sometimes we get fixated with winning and being the best when sometimes you just have to be your best because not everyone can be the best all the time. And so we, we, we've made a, a, a real effort to also not use uh, our performances as, as markers of how good people we are because yeah. <laughs> success fades so quickly and you know what so does failure so if if you're holding on to that and it becomes a part of your identity then you you're going to be in for a really really wild ride of life <laughs> there's a question from Mara Perkins from the Facebook group what's it like to earn a medal slash get knocked out in the heats or come fourth so, you know, because we all can't be perfect at everything mm. at all times, um, how do you cope with maybe those losses or, you know, you were lucky enough to win a gold in the, the relay team events. What's it like if you're part of a team and you don't, well, you think that you didn't perform as well as you should have and you let the team down or, you know, walking away without a stand on the podium? Yeah, so I think that we need to... And, and how I've managed it and dealt with it over the years is shift away from an outcome focus to a process focus. Uh, and when I go into a race, I aim for best execution. And ultimately, that's going to look different at 
different meets because as as much as you try to be in the the best possible shape that you can be sometimes your preparation is just not where it ideally would like to be um, through through illness or what, what whatever or injury or whatever other setbacks you've encountered but if you can go on the day and put together the best executed race, then that's kind of the scorecard that that I mark myself off with. And you know, I've I have had some incredibly close races where I have won, but I've I've you know felt a little dis. I've I've exited the pool just being like, man, I just wish I could do that again because I know that there was something that that could change. But then. There are races, you know, an example of it was um, the bronze medal that I won in the 100-meter freestyle uh, in Tokyo recently. I touched the wall and I knew with complete certainty that I had swum my best race. I also knew when I touched the wall that I hadn't won because I was next to Emma McKeon, who did win, and I could see her out of the corner of my eye and she was in front of me. And it was a it was a really beautiful moment that that half a second between touching the wall and turning around and and looking at the scoreboard to see what my final placing was because I knew that whatever flashed up on the scoreboard, I would be okay with because it was my best execution. And look, would I have loved it to have been gold? Absolutely. Like I'm not here to tell you that that's not what would, you know, be the icing on the cake. But if if I judge myself every time off, the outcome alone, it doesn't take into account the the fact that sometimes someone else just has a better day. Yeah, and and by such a small margin, right? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I, I knew that this was coming today, so I jumped in the pool this morning uh, first thing and I thought I'm going to time myself for 100 metres and just see how quick I can go. And I'm proud to say that I was 37 seconds behind you over 100 metres. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> When you actually time that to feel how how long that takes to catch up, that's amazing. I, I just think you, like when you were speaking then, Kate, like you read my mind because I was going to ask like surely in the pool you've got this sense of you kind of know whether I've absolutely smashed this by seeing someone out of the corner of your eye or not. But I like for me, I must be getting older and more like of a, an emotional slob. But like <laughs> when athletes like you know, on the track, it's notorious for, uh, you know, guys and girls getting disqualified in finals and it's heartbreaking to see. But for me, the perspective matters that the fact that you're actually there is freaking nuts. Like mm. it's just, and, you know, we are a money podcast and, you know, I, I want to pick up on a word that you said, Kate, you said about best execution. Like if you're putting your best effort to save all you can this month, awesome. Don't freaking compare yourself to the jackass next door driving around a BMW they can't afford that's on finance. Like keep in your own lane. Like you're a professional at keeping in your own lane, aren't you, Kate? Yeah. And, and literally true. like a, a, no pun intended there, or maybe it was because no. it was no, a good pun. Can, yeah. I enjoyed it. Don't excuse it, please. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it, it, it's about um, being as, as competitive as you can be with yourself. And I think ultimately that's what gives you long-term success um, because you're not 
attached to the outcome. So you're you're willing to go back and do the work because you you kind of are enjoying the process of it as well, uh, and it isn't dependent on the outcome. I think that we we see people who come out um, and and they have like one really good meet. You know, they they might win an Olympic gold medal, but then that's the last that you you hear from them. Um, whereas people who have had really sustained success detach that that emotion and that identity from the end result and really involve themselves in the process and draw satisfaction from having a best execution um, because no one wins forever, you know, not even Usain Bolt won forever. I'll be interested to know, okay, did you always have that type of mindset? Like I meet a lot of athletes that hang their hat on the next win or the next loss and, and Ted Lasso talks about the goldfish, like be a goldfish when you lose, like just forget about it and move on. Has that always been that way for you? No, I, I think it's something that, that I've learned and particularly kind of in the past five years. It's it's one of those 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 really strange things of when you are pursuing a goal as lofty as an Olympic gold medal, uh you can kind of get in a, a bit of a tunnel vision and and you need that you need to block out things but it comes to a point where you can almost get a little too blocked in on, on that and and you can begin to narrow in and, and focus on the outcome in, instead of the process and uh, I think that also we live in a society that rewards success or a gold medal <sighs> disproportionately to, to to what I think it should. Um, and for some reason, if you're a gold medalist, you're a, people think that you're an amazing person or that what you've done is incredible. And it is, but it also, I could be an absolute asshole. Mm. I really could. And But if I have a, a gold medal around my neck, people somehow think that mm. I'm worth listening to or that I, I have some other value. And it's hard not to attach yourself to that, especially when that kind of is a feedback that comes over lots and lots of years. So you do well and people like you. And then there's the pressure to keep doing well because you want more people to like you. Because the flip side is if you have a bad race or a bad performance, the pile on is really big as well. Mm-hmm. So I've particularly focused in in the past couple of years of really detaching myself from, from that uh uh, emotional reaction to to the outcome, and also I've been really really strict. I never read anything um, about myself, what people say about me, good, bad, or otherwise, um, because ultimately that's it's their projection on me, and, and I have no control over that. I want to rewind and draw a parallel to Tokyo being delayed and some mindset with someone out there listening who are in a long-term campaign for some type of goal. So I'll draw the first comparison. I'm saving for a new house and I've been saving for three years. I've got my $60,000 saved. It's been tough. We've sacrificed, you know, all this stuff. All right, we go to auction or whatever, can't find a house. Crap, we have to save and maintain this for another year to get that deposit because it's moved and we've got to sustain again. I'm really bad at drawing these parallels, but rewind back to last year. Everyone's at their peak, been training for this line in the sand. Oh, by the way, everyone, it's been delayed. Mm. What's going through the athlete's mind 
because I'm thinking, oh, do they just have three months off and then, because if it was me, because I'm lazy, right? I'd be like, well, it's next year, stuff this, can't be bothered. I've done all this work and I'll Go get back pies. to it in a couple of months. <laughs> What's the mental process to sustain, dig deeper and keep going and keep up that cadence of working out or whatever you do, I don't yeah. know, practice. <laughs> Try <laughs> train that's yeah. the word yeah yeah so so it's it's really interesting because uh i this is something that i've learned to do much more later in my career um early in my career i was 100% 100% of the time and i was go 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 and like didn't matter uh what time of the season i was in if it was pre-season if it was mid-season if it was close to competition even if it was immediately after the competition i would literally get out of the pool and think okay what do i need to do for my next prep and i think that while that gives you good success in in you know a, a short period of time it begins to burn you out pretty quickly you know by by the time so I'd, I'd got through my third Olympics in, in 2016 but by the time I, I even heading into that I knew I was tired and I was just like I just want to get this done because I need a break like I need a rest um, and so I particularly in the past five years I've really picked my times of where I focus in and when I narrow down and where my focus goes 100% to the goal that I need to achieve. The other times I give myself a little bit of slack. I I, I still maintain a, a level of discipline, of course, that, that is required and, and, and a level of effort. And when I go to training, I still give 100% effort. But if I want to come home and my friends are going out for, for drinks on Saturday night. I'll go and have a couple of drinks with them. Or, um, you know, one of my favorite things to do is like go for a big hike on the weekend. But if I do that when I'm in full training, then I'm tired for Monday and, and it kind of messes with your week. So, but I give myself allowances at certain times to do things that fill my cup, that bring me joy. Um, and I think that that's really important for people as well. To maintain that there's a baseline of discipline that that you can do, but then if if you if your goal is time sensitive and Olympics it is, then pick a time three months out, six months out, whatever it is, to focus in and give a hundred percent of your focus to that. But then also in those other times, treat yourself, give yourself a bit of downtime, cut yourself a bit of slack, because ultimately. If you don't do that, if you're 100% focused, you're going to be like, this is way too hard. I'm going to give up altogether. Mm. Yeah. And that's amazing because when I used to have a personal trainer, you know, it was a half an hour session. After 20 minutes, I'll be like, yeah, I'm done for the day. So it's all right. I'll still pay for the, like, I'm like, <laughs> I've got a real low threshold of like um, intensity and focus. Ama- amazing parallel, that one, isn't it? It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, just- I don't have a gold medal. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Kate, Shane Gould retired at 16. Mm-hmm. You've been to four Olympics. The next one is Paris in three years. You'll be 32. Mm hmm. Is Kate Campbell going to give an exclusive on our podcast today as to what her plans are in three years' time? Uh, if I had an exclusive to give, I would give it to you. Just give, it, give, give the punters something. <laughs> give, something. give us more than Koshi or Carl or whoever got it last week. Like, I know. To, to be honest, I actually have no idea. Um, I 
had a really, really rough time heading into to these Olympics. My, uh, my body just decided that it had had enough of swimming for a while. Um, so I, I really, really need to, to let that heal and, um, before I begin the next assault. So, um, I, I also really think it's important to explore what life could look like outside of the swimming pool because, uh, I think that we perform at our best when we're doing something out of love and out of fear. And if I go on to, to Paris 2024, I want to know that it's because I love swimming, not because I'm scared that I can't do anything else. So um, I, I'm really going to take this time now to uh, invest in some personal development, figure out the things that I can do, things that I can't do, the things I like to do, the things I don't like to do, because I went to my first Olympic Games when I had just turned 16 years old. I was still in grade 11 at school. And so I really haven't known any other life besides that of following a black line in the pool. And it is a very, very finite amount of time that, that you can do that physically and mentally. And I, I want to make sure that uh, if, I, if I do go, go after Paris 2024, because I know how much is involved and, and the dedication and the work that that is required that I'm, I'm willing to give that because if you don't love it, you just, you're not going to be able to do it. Because there's always somebody somewhere else in the world who wants it more than you do, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a question here and Rebecca Gavin, uh, kind of in the same vein, like what's life really like a month after the Olympics? It must be a real roller coaster being lonely and back into training, like how do you cope? I guess this is different because you're locked in a room and horrendously, I can't believe the South Australian athletes have to do it again. That's just ridiculous, but we won't go there. We won't go there. Um, like how do you cope? Because, you know, I've talked to, a, like we talked with uh, Grant Hackett. I've had him on the show before and he kind of said, you know, coming out of his swimming career, he didn't really have this emotional resilience that was built up because like you, like he was looking at a white line his whole life. Like how do you personally cope and how are, are you looking at doing that? You mentioned personal development. Yeah, it's um, after an Olympic Games, it's, it's, almost, it's anticlimactic. Even if you've achieved everything you ever want, you just, you go and you work so hard and then you go and you do it and then you're like, oh, this is it? Like, I still feel the same. <laughs> I maybe feel a little bit happier than I did last week um, or a little bit sadder if, if I didn't, but, like, I don't feel any different. And it's funny because the, the, the people who matter in your life also don't treat you any differently. Like, the, it just actually doesn't really matter for them. So um, it, it is a, a really big adjustment period. They, they actually call it the post-Olympic blues where – athletes have to re-regulate their emotions and come back down to kind of a normal level because it's been so heightened going into the games and then at the games themselves and then you you have this this big crescendo and then it's and then it's done um and so for me it's about uh particularly this time it's about setting goals outside the pool um little things that i can achieve that that give me a, a sense of accomplishment and self-worth and and all of those things because that's what you do in the swimming pool is, is, is you manage to hit your goals and you hit your targets. And um, I find that incredibly satisfying. So um, challenging myself outside of the pool, but then also, and this is something that I struggle with, like just try and relax 
just try and do something because you love it, not because there's like an end goal or, or something that you have to achieve from it. Um, just do it simply because you love it. And I would really encourage people to find something like that. For me, it's like going and watching a sunrise. It's like, no, I get nothing out of it apart from the fact that I just love it and it's just beautiful and it sets me up for the rest of the day. So, um, well, I suppose then that's a goal I attached to it, but I didn't start out doing it because of that. And and to just to just find those things to to take the pressure down because I think so often we we live in a world where it's like you have to always be achieving and ticking off things on your to do list because if you're not then you're falling behind. Yeah, totally. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back right after this. We're going to talk about how athletes earn a living financially. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. So, Kate, up until 1986, I believe, Olympic athletes were, it was just the the norm that they turned up to the Olympics and competed for the love of it and there was no or perceived no monetary value in that. Um, Post-1986, they thought, yeah, let's let's reward these athletes by giving them money. And I think this year, uh, Australia offered, was it 20 for gold, 15 for for silver and 10,000 for bronze. So a little bit more an incentive to, to do well. So what do you think the state of that is at the moment for, for athletes, um, for, uh, particularly Australian athletes compared to the rest of the world? Look, it's, it's really interesting because for most uh, Olympians in, in Olympic sports, we're kind of semi-professional athletes in that the, the people who are the absolute best at, at what they can do can earn a living out of their sport and be professional. But for a lot of athletes, they're amateurs and, and they don't earn anything from their sport through, through sponsors and, and they're reliant on, on either government grants. But if, if you're not highly ranked in the world enough, um, that can kind of, you, you, you don't even get a lot of that. So, um, the, the idea of you, you have to do the sport for love that I would say that that is first and foremost why people do Olympic sport because for the majority of people there isn't a lot of money in in the sport and to be honest like you just read out what, what a gold medal is worth um, I didn't even know that like it's it's not something that features on my radar it's it's not why I, I do the sport at all but in saying that if we idolize and go after and and hold up gold this gold standard so highly and we're so willing to jump on people who just miss out we need to reward people more you know like we we need to give them more of an incentive we need to support them along the way especially because um if you don't succeed the first time like you want them to try again because you don't want them to leave the sport because they have so much experience and knowledge now you don't want them to just be like well this is too hard I'm not earning enough. Uh, I can see that I have the rest of my life ahead of me and I'm going to be much more financially stable if I focus on my study or I jump straight into the workforce. So you effectively earn a living uh, from your sponsors? Yes. Who are your sponsors? Let's give them some love. (laughs) 
Yes, no, I'm, I am, am one of the few who are very lucky to have uh, personal sponsors. So I'm sponsored by Allianz uh, Insurance and um, Arena Swimwear and uh, Event Skincare. So I... I managed to, to earn a living and um, I, I'm also good enough to, you know, I'm, it's going to sound, sound really snobby, but like I have been amongst the best in the world for over a decade now. So I, I have sustained success and, and I'm also able to go, I'm good enough to go and compete at world competitions and, and earn some prize money from, from there as well. But, you know, if you're eighth in the world... <laughs> still pretty good and you're you're reliant essentially on on government funding um to to kind of get you through yeah Uh, my two cents for what it's worth is you're you're working the same amount of hours if not more than uh, other athletes that have got greater tv coverage and and you're earning about eight hundred thousand dollars less than them in some cases it's just there's an inequality in in my that's my two cents worth Mm. Well, we might uh, wrap it up. I might finish with one question and John will finish with another one. And it's probably more of a personal one. Uh, My niece, she's 11. She lives on the Gold Coast and she's really into gymnastics and, you know, cheer and all that stuff. And I texted her the other day and said, well, you've got 13 years to get to Brisbane in the gymnastics. So what would you say to Grace if Grace is listening? I think that one of the amazing things about these Olympics and for all the kids who are in lockdown and and hopefully just tuned in to uh, the Olympics and skip town on schoolwork, sorry, teachers, uh, is that you have a home Olympic Games in 11 years' time. So I was inspired to go to the Olympics when I watched the 2000 Sydney Olympics uh, and I was eight years old. And that was the catalyst for me to, to decide that that's what I wanted to do. So I would say, go for it. Dream big. Dream big. Go chase after it. Uh, know that it's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. Unfortunately, the only way to get there is through hard work. If I could give you a little cheat sheet to get there, I would, but there isn't any other way. But if you love it, if you want to do it, go for it. Mm. Awesome. Great response. Uh, Kate, you didn't really give us an answer as to whether you're going to go again or not, and that's cool. Oh, please. Um, but uh, that's not my question, Glenn. But oh, okay. My question is, in 10 years' time, regardless of what you've done in the meantime, what, what is Kate Campbell doing? What, what's, uh, what's going to be the passion for her in her life? Uh, I think I really enjoy helping people, um, which is – really strange for an elite athlete to say because it's one of the most selfish things you can do. But I have been lucky enough to be a part of the Australian swim team for many, many years now. And I'm, I'm one of the, the athlete leaders and, and part of the leadership group. And uh, we have really worked on culture within the swim team. And it's been really wonderful to see how the cultivation of a, a welcoming culture has allowed people to perform at their best. And I think that that's something that I get real uh, achievement out of is, is, is creating an environment for people to flourish and, and, and be their best self. And I, I really in, enjoy celebrating in uh, other people's success as well. So I, I probably will hope to remain involved in sport in some way because it's been a big part of my life. I think it attracts uh, really motivated, dedicated people, and I always find that really inspiring to be around. 
Cool. And just a part 1A, um, do you have anyone that looks after your property investing? Oh, yeah. So there's, there's this really cool guy called John. So remember how we were talking about um, little gaps in our knowledge? Uh, yeah, I am very good at many things, but um, looking dispassionately at numbers and not getting attached to little things is not one of my strengths. So, um, yeah, Solvair has been very, very helpful. I, I'm not actually joking. It's, it, it is not one of my strengths. Um, I, I tend to kind of lead with my feelings and, and, and my head second. So it's been very, very helpful to have someone to, to rein that in and kind of compliment that, that side of myself. Awesome. Are your medals in arm's reach? Yes, they are. Are you in able fact. to just grab um, them and um, we'll maybe give them a bit of a clink together near the microphone? Well, I can't clink them together because it damages them. So they, they hang oh, out. They hang really? out in socks. So I'll. Um, oh wow! There we go. How do I? Wow, that's there amazing. I'll tilt it forward. There we go. Wow, nice. That's so good. Do you want a bit of quick um, Olympic trivia? Just yeah. real yes, quick before it. we go. All right. So the front of the medal, um, if you yeah. can see it there, uh, is always a Grecian themed and features Nike, and she is the Greek goddess of victory. So oh. all Olympic medals um, feature Nike in some way. This design has been on the medals since 2004, so since Athens 2004. Prior to that, so Sydney and earlier, it was slightly different, but all still feature Nike. On the back, it's up to the host country to design whatever they want and, and put on whatever yeah. logo they want. So um, that's Japan has just put on a, a bit of a, their, their Tokyo logo. On the mm. rim, um, I don't know if you can see, it's engraved yeah. with, with the event. Oh, the event. That wow. Won. So, cool. so all, all medals are, are, are personalised in that way so that you wow. can't confuse them so that no one can steal them. And you can't and buy one. And you can't buy one, sadly. <laughs> well, sadly for you, not for me. Um <laughs> Um, these medals are the biggest and the heaviest so far. So they weigh about 560 grams, which doesn't sound that much. But if you go to the gym and you pick up half a kilo weight, you'll, you'll be like, oh, wait, the medal is heavier than that. So, um, yeah, I don't think Emma McKeon can wear all her medals around her neck at once. She might wow. give herself an injury. Wow. Well, on behalf of just a garden variety Australian mm. over here in Blue Bay on the sunny coast, Congratulations. I'm so proud that um, someone as, as, as a quality a person as you, Kate, have represented our island. And thank you so much for joining us on My Millennial Money today. Uh, thank you so much for having me, guys. I love what you do. Thanks, Kate. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.